Well, back in 1926, Charles Miller was a wealthy prankster. And when he died in 1926, he left a will with some of the pranks he wanted to continue. In fact, he left some stock in his will to some people that were opposed to alcohol. He left them stock in different beer companies. To three lawyers who could not stand each other, he left them a shared vacation home. And most famously, he left the rest of his inheritance because he had no family of his own. The rest of his inheritance he left to the first woman who could have 10 children. This became known in Canada as the Great Toronto Stork Derby. And some people were opposed to this. And they said this was an immoral game that he had played. It went all the way to the Supreme Court, but they ruled the will is valid. The first woman to have 10 children receives the inheritance. And in 1936, three different women had 10 children. And so the rest of the inheritance was shared between the three. They made about $125,000, which would be quite a bit of money in today's dollars. Interesting story from history, a humorous story, but it also shows the lengths to which people will go for money or to have something that they don't have. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson, 1800, said it like this, the gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. And a man will worship something, have no doubt about that either. He may think his tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of his heart, but it will come out. That which dominates will determine his life and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. What we worship, we are becoming. We are in this time of Lent, moving to Easter, and we want to make sure that our hearts are given completely to Christ, that we are walking in faith in Him and understanding what we worship, we are becoming. Let Him be the centerpiece of our life and our worship and our commitments and our faith. Now, we're going to look at something here today that I hope you'll take and and just immediately begin to use for your own life here. And we're going to look at something here. Paul said that we are to have the mind of Christ. And let's remind ourselves of Matthew 21, verse 9, something that happened here, entering into this holy week when Jesus was riding the colt into Jerusalem. The crowds gathered around, and remember they sang this song, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those words are Psalm 118. Now, the crowd was not the only one that sang Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a Passover song. It's sang at Passover. And Jesus was celebrating that Last Supper at Passover. So he and the disciples would have sang this psalm as well. In fact, Matthew 26, 30 plainly says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Last thing he sang, Psalm 118, and then he goes out into the garden. He's going to have the prayer, and then the soldiers come, and they arrest him. So I encourage you to take some time, spend it in Psalm 118 throughout this Lenten season and beyond. Read it 
partially each day or the whole thing each day, but just keep reading through Psalm 118. And again, allow that Psalm to become a part of your heart and allow it to become something in you that you begin, like Paul said, to have the mind of Christ. How do you have the mind of Christ? That still small voice speaking to us in prayer and studying his word and studying his life. And then his mind becomes our mind. Going back to the 1600s and early 1700s, Johann Sebastian Bach, incredibly, you know, his faith was so strong. His music was so centered on scripture. He was called the fifth evangelist. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Johann Sebastian Bach, known as the fifth evangelist. Such was his faith and his music dedicated to God. He lost his parents by the time he was 10 years old. At 17, he was playing organ in churches. He began to write music. At some times, he would write one song a week. Others, he would write one song at least every month. And Ken Pell writes this about Bach. At the beginning of every authentic manuscript of Bach, you'll find the letters JJ. This stands for Jesu Java, which means Jesus help me. At the end of each original manuscript, you find the letters SDG. This stands for Soli Deo Gloria, which means to the glory of God. He began his manuscript, Jesus Help Me, and ended each one to the glory of God. Let us walk in that same type of faith that Jesus helped me to the glory of God. So let's take a look at what takes place here when the crowds are gathering and they begin to sing this same song. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now it's important to remember that four days later, many people in this crowd that were singing would be in a different crowd and they would say crucify him. Others would be in another part of the crowd and they would just be silent. And we don't want to be in the crowd that is being the movement under pressure to join and follow after whatever popular opinion is, or the crowd that is silent. We want to stand forth and have the mind of Christ and say what you worship is what you are becoming. And let his mind be in me and let my worship be centered on Christ alone. And take these words from the psalm and begin to apply them to your heart and to your mind and live then in that place, faithfully following after the one who gave his all. This is Gladys Allward. She was a missionary in China throughout the early 1950s and 60s. She came from a poor background and did not have much of an education. She's from London. She felt a call, though, to become a missionary. However, she failed the entrance exam, and she went home, and she was crushed. This was her calling. She knew, and she sat on her bed and wept, and she said, Oh, God, here's my Bible. Here's my money. Here's me. Use me, God. She couldn't afford to pay to take a boat to China, but she thought I could save some money, maybe get enough for a train ticket. She did, but she had to go through a lot of places where war was taking place in the 1920s and 30s. She was going through on a train. And so as she went through in this time frame, she eventually found her way to China. But once she was there, she didn't have anybody that she knew. Fortunately, another missionary took her under their wing and she would then become a missionary in China as her heart's cry had been. But she wrote this years later. She's known as one of the most impactful missionaries to ever be in China. But she wrote this about her time there. 
I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done for China. There was somebody else. I don't know who it was. God's first choice. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw me. She had a tremendous ministry, tremendous humility. But she said herself, there was somebody else. But I don't know what happened to that person. We don't want that to be said of our life. We don't want the calling that we have to be missed and somebody else to fill in for where we were supposed to be obedient unto Christ. So let's take a look at Psalm 118 so that we also could have his thoughts be our thoughts. Matthew 26, 30 again, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What do you think Psalm 118 begins with? Just moments before Jesus is going to step into the garden to pray and then be arrested. What do you think the words that he sang were? Well, here's Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Jesus knows what is coming. He knows the trial. He knows the nails. He knows the whip. He knows the cross. And he sings, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. What is it to have the mind of Christ? This is the mind of Christ. No matter what we're facing, no matter what the challenge, give thanks to the Lord. He is good, his mercy endures forever. The psalm continues, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. I will not fear what can man do to me. You remember when Jesus was before Pilate, Pilate said, why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you answer me? And Jesus said, you have no authority over me. I'm allowing this to happen. I lay down my life and I take it back up again. Eventually, Pilate would say, so you're a king. And Jesus would say, you have said it rightly. I'm not a king like you know. I'm not a king from this place. I will not fear because the Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? Martin Luther was enamored with Psalm 118. He would write this about the Psalm. The dying live, the suffering rejoice, the fallen rise, the disgraced are honored. When he was in the castle translating scripture into the language of the people, something illegal, the authorities were hunting for him. Some wanted him in prison, some wanted him dead. And on his wall, he wrote Psalm 118, verse 17, in the same words that Jesus sang. What is verse 17? I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Imagine again, Jesus hours from the trial the crucifixion, and he sings, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Such was his faith that he knew, again, he was laying down his life to take it back up again. There's a word that is pronounced in different ways, but one of the ways it's pronounced is deenu. And it's a word that has been sung as well at Passovers for over a thousand years. And Deenu means it would have been enough. And so this is a song that's been sang at Passover for over a thousand years. And here are the words. If he had split the sea for us and had not taken us through it on dry land, Deenu, it would have been enough. If he had supplied our needs in the desert 40 years, 
and had not fed us the manna, Daniel, it would have been enough. If he had fed us the manna and had not given us the Sabbath, Daniel, it would have been enough. If he had given us the Sabbath and had not brought us before Mount Sinai, Daniel, it would have been enough. This is a time of reflection that all the things we have in Christ, it is enough because he is enough because he is the all in all. What we worship is what we are becoming. Let us have the mind of Christ. Take Psalm 118 and notice again the words that Jesus was singing facing what was before him at Calvary. And the words continue. Psalm 118, the Lord has chastened me severely, but he's not given me over to death. That chastening is the judging that he's going to take the punishment for the sins of the world. But then look at what he says again, but he's not given me over to death. And then the psalm declares, and imagine again Jesus singing this, Open to me the gates of righteousness, I will go through them. I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. Christ himself, that gate, the righteousness of God. Then notice what he says as we close here. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. Jesus trusted the Father that as he lay in the tomb, he would rise again on that third day. I will trust in the Lord. I will praise you. You are my salvation. This was written anonymously, simply called One Solitary Life. Here's a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book, never held an office, never had a family, never owned a home, never set foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. While he was still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends deserted him. He was turned over to his enemies, went through a mockery of a trial, nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property that he had, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave. Three days later, the tomb was empty. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure for much of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, All the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of a man upon this earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. Perhaps in few places has that one solitary life been so shown metaphorically as the story of the peace child. Don and Carol Richardson became missionaries in New Guinea to the Sawi people. Sawi people were cannibals and had been at war as opposing tribes. When Don and Carol Richardson moved to New Guinea, the tribes found them interesting, so they began to move closer to their home. But they continued to fight battles that were violent and cost many lives. And finally, after the 14th battle, Don and Carol gathered the tribal leaders and said, we are leaving. 
We have done for you all that we know to do. The tribal leaders said, Please stay. We promise tomorrow we will make peace. Now, Don and Carol did not know what else to do, so they went to bed that night, and when they woke up the next morning, they walked outside, and on one side of the field was one tribe, and on the other side of the field was the entire other tribe. And they were standing there silently. And Don Richardson would write, Suddenly on the right side from this tribe, there was a screech. A man walked forward holding an infant, and behind him was the crying mother. And the man walked across the field to the opposite tribe and handed them his infant and said, Plead the peace child for me. I give you my son. I give you my name. He walked back to his tribe, and suddenly there was that same cry, And from the other side, a man and his wife walked from the opposite tribe holding their infant and they went to the other side and gave their infant to that tribe and said as well, plead the peace child for me. I give you my son. I give you my name. The Richardsons were stunned to say the least. As they watched this unfolding, they said to the tribal leaders, this is what we've been telling you about Jesus. He is the ultimate peace child, that he came to reconcile us to God, that our sins may be washed away. We can then be unto him reconciled in perfect peace. The tribe began to give their lives to Christ one after the other. A few years later, it was Christmas. And the Richardson said, one of the tribal leaders said he wanted to share the sermon that morning. He took out his Bible, turned to the book of Isaiah, and he read, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And three years ago, The original story took place in the 60s. And three years ago, a journalist went back, and here's the headline, 50 years have passed, the peace child tribe is still following Christ. When we worship, we become. Let us have the mind of Christ to walk in that same strength and faith that he demonstrated moment to moment and to be able to say, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord.